long time ago, uh, I, I told my son that I believe that one day either we will tell the robots what to do or the robots will tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. And I asked him what side of that he wanted to be on. You know, do you, do you want to be uh, taking, taking uh, uh, your orders from the robots or do you want to be a coder? Do you want to learn how to use these tools? And I still, my, my son is a software developer now and, and uh, I still feel the same way. I feel the same way about all of them. I feel the same way about ChatGPT and others is I want to be the guy controlling those things. So I want to understand how they work. I want to understand how we can apply those to our, to our daily lives, to our businesses, how we can help our clients with them. Hi, and welcome to the 91 Day Success Podcast. I am so thrilled today to have the opportunity to chat with a friend of mine, Lynn Askin, from Raxar Digital Marketing and Garage Marketers. Lynn and I have known each other for about a year now and met through an amazing group that we may or may not talk about a lot called Seven Figure Agency. And Lynn has just become a, a trusted confidant. He's become someone that I've learned I can lean on, I can ask questions to. He's a tremendous resource and has such an abundance mentality uh, that I'm just so excited to chat with Lynn today as we talk about everything from homeschooling to chat GPT to artificial intelligence and probably a lot of other things as well. So Lynn, before I take over and just do a monologue here, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. If you would give us the elevator pitch intro to Lynn Askin. Oh my gosh, Jonathan! Thank you so much. It's um, I'm it's really a pleasure for me to be here with you. Uh, I, I admire the things that you're doing, um, you know, with your generosity lunches and and the things that you're doing uh, on the internet. And so it's really a pleasure for me to be here with you today. Uh, the thirty thousand foot view of Lynn Askin is uh, been a digital marketer my whole life. Um, I built my first computer. I bought a f my first computer in probably nineteen ninety four. I ripped that thing apart. Uh, put it back together and started building computers for people. Um, shortly uh, after that, I realized that tech support was a nightmare, and I needed to <laughs> to build something that was uh, sustainable or or you know sort of a recurring kind of model. Um, we built an online auction uh, in 1996, and that I think eBay hired their first employee in '96, and we didn't know they existed, so we were kind of on the cutting edge of that sort of thing back then. Um, you know, obviously we made some mistakes and didn't and didn't see that thing through. But uh, uh, in '97, we built one of our first uh, e-commerce stores that's still running today. And you know how that story goes when you're you know your accountant finds out that you're doing websites and things like that. Then they're like, oh, I've got some other clients that need some help, and it just uh, it turns into you know what you and I do today. Absolutely no, and it's it's so neat to know that. You know, you got started about the same time I did in the industry. Uh, we've both seen different chapters come and go uh, and seen a lot of things evolve over the years. Um, and I guess one of the things we've, we've talked about, but let's jump into it right away because I know everybody wants to hear about this new artificial intelligence tool called ChatGPT. And what does this mean to people? I've got my thoughts and you and I haven't talked a lot about this, although I know we're both aficionados of it. But talk to me a little bit from your perspective. What do you think the impact of the new artificial intelligence tools is going to be? Not just ChatGTB because it's it's going to not be the new tool again probably in four more weeks so, or whenever you know Microsoft is investing and Google's going to have their own tool and there's other tools that are out there they're talking about. But 
What do you see this meaning to the average business person that you and I are dealing with on a day-to-day basis? Well, Jonathan, a long time ago, uh, I, I told my son that I believe that one day either we will tell the robots what to do or the robots will tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. And I asked him what side of that he wanted to be on. You know, do you, do you want to be uh, taking, taking uh, uh, your orders from the robots or do you want to be a coder? Do you want to learn how to use these tools? And I still, my, my son is a software developer now and, and uh, I still feel the same way. I feel the same way about all of them. I feel the same way about ChatGPT and others is I want to be the guy controlling those things. So I want to understand how they work. I want to understand how we can apply those to our to our daily lives, to our businesses, how we can help our clients with them. Um, I, I think it's the future of content creation. I think it's the future of digital assistance. I think it's the future of ordering things online. Um, I think it's the future of communication in, in a lot of ways. Um, so again, my my stance on it is that I want to know I want to know these tools inside and out, so I, I can tell the robots what to do versus them telling me what to do. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I was just uh, talking with a gentleman yesterday, and we were going back and forth about it. And he goes, you know, I just I, I don't I don't quite see how we're going to be able to leverage this. He's not in the marketing business, and he wasn't quite sure. Uh, and I said, I really believe in my mind, in current chat GPT terms, it's all it's going to be the person that, that learns about how to ask it the right questions. Um, and I think that's going to be the case with any AI. And that gets back to the programming interface that you talked about. The ability to ask the right questions makes all the difference in the world. Anybody can use chat GPT and open it up and say, you know, write me a blog post about X. And it'll do that, and it'll write a pretty decent one in most cases. Yes, there could be some flaws. Uh, the facts are not always perfect. But overall, it does an impressive job. But where I find it gets so impressive is when you start asking it the right questions and providing it with enough information. And a simple example of that is, you know, if I'm writing, uh, I'll use our industry as an example, if I'm writing a blog post and I tell it, you know, I want you to act as though you are a marketing expert with 25 years of experience working for the following companies in these vertical industries. Uh, and I'd like you to write a outline uh, for an article uh, on this topic in this tone of voice designed to be appeal to this audience. It'll create an amazing outline for me, and then I can utilize that and ChatGPT to continue to refine that and build some of that out in a very effective methodology. The other area where I think as marketers we, we miss where that's going is we look at it as content creation. Oh, great, this is going to help us with content creation, and it, and it will. But today was a great example, and I suppose this is content creation, but I needed to create a standard operating procedure for my team on a particular topic. Uh, nothing particularly difficult, but it was basically how to go about setting up authorship profiles for blogging for our clients. So um, you know even better than I do the importance of Google Eat or EEAT now and authorship being the A part of that. And there's some processes to go through to help our clients get set up as authors uh, because most of them haven't done that, that plumbing on the internet to get that set up. And while I knew what I wanted to say, I was able to actually give ChatGPT an outline and 
have it then create the step-by-step -step process to setting up these accounts, what URLs to go to, what information was needed. And it did an amazing job of, and I'll just use LinkedIn as an example. One of the things I wanted to do was how to establish a LinkedIn profile for a prospect or for a client. And it here's the URL to go to. Here's the things you're going to need in order to set that up. Here's the processes. And it's, you know, 1 through 17, here's the steps you need to take. Exactly what I needed for an SOP, but that process would have taken me maybe, knowing my ADD, it would have probably taken me an hour to have done put that all together. And once I gave it the outline and the context, it was able to fill in the the, the tidbits in literally 45 seconds. Um, and that's one of the things where I see there being so much value, not just in content creation, but in, in doing things like that and helping us, regardless of our business, uh, create relevant material for our teams, for our clients, uh, whatever that may be, and just making us more efficient when we have that knowledge. Uh, I think you nailed the, uh, I think you nailed it, you hit the nail right on the head, uh, you know, whatever metaphor simile we're trying to use here. Sure. Uh, the, the prompt engineering and how you ask these tools to do the questions are the things that I'm talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to learn how to tell these things what to do and how to give us the best output. And so, um, the, the, I've, I've used this tool of hundreds of ways and, and I, I love the idea that you're using it for SOPs. Um, this week I used it, uh, to answer a question in a chat group. Somebody's like, Hey, do you have a clause in a contract, um, on how to, um, you know, if a client leaves or they break our contract early, you know, does somebody have a buyout clause for the website? And I just asked chat GPT to create that for me. And, and in a couple of seconds, I had something that looked very reasonable to use. Now, of course, those all come with caveats, you know, I'm not a lawyer, chat GPT is not a lawyer. Uh, and, and you should run those things by your attorney if you're if you're making legal contracts. But it gave me the fundamental, fundamental foundation of what I wanted to cover in that little clause. So I, I yeah. did it, I pasted it in and, and, and they they loved it. And so um, a lot of great uses for this tool. Um, I've used it uh, to be more thoughtful. To, sometimes I struggle putting my words together and, and I wanted to write something heartfelt bereavement for a friend whose whose father died and I I just I couldn't find the words. And mm -hmm. what Chat GP spit out for me was almost perfect and beautiful and made a couple of edits and I and I was able to just reach out to them with just a, a message of 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 hope and and you know uh, obviously uh, to send our, our best regards for their family. So a lot of great, a lot of great uses for the tool. I, you know, I've used it hundreds of different ways. I, I do love the idea that if we can figure out how to um, engineer these prompts, you know, you sort of prompt engineer these things and mm -hmm. how I think there's, I think there's skill in that. I think there's money to be made in that. Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't believe that the standard person, in fact, I watched a video just before getting on this call where somebody asked uh, ChatGPT to write a, a quick article on something and they took it in every AI detector they put it in, said 100% AI produced because mm -hmm. there were no mistakes. There were no um, uh, no analogies, no no sort of language used like we talk. It was, it was written by a computer and, and it was pretty obvious. And so I think understanding how to ask the right questions, understanding how to ask it to 
to do certain things um, is going to be the key to, to getting good results or, or just, you know, using the tool properly. Yeah. Oh, abs absolutely. No question about it. Well, one of the, well, we may come back to chat GPT, but one of the other things I want to talk to you about something we share in common that we've never actually spoke about, but I know that you homeschooled your son and you talked about some of the things you shared with him about where, which side of the equation he wanted to be on. And uh, we've done the same with our youngest. In fact, uh, he's in another room right now doing virtual high school uh, as, as you and I talk. Not that it's typically related, but talk to me a little bit from an educational standpoint as to maybe why you chose that. And, and I'm most interested in Lynn now that he's beyond that and he's went, uh, I believe he's in college, if I'm not mistaken, may have actually graduated. I apologize. I should know the details. I don't. But talk to me a little bit about how you think that focus has helped him propel his, his career, his learning, whatever it be, forward. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, if, if you get me talking about my son, Grant, uh, you may not get me to stop. And so you may have to cut me off at some point. I'll warn Fair you. enough. Uh, Grant, Grant started reading really early. Um, my wife and I would read to him and we put him to bed at night and, and from, from very young. And so when he was just, just about three, he, Grant used to say, I can do it my own self, right? Because he was independent. And he, he said, I can do it my own self. And he took the book and he started reading to me. And he, he was just barely three years old, if, if that. And he just read these books beautifully. And we knew early that he was, uh, I don't think gifted is the right word, but, but certainly blessed with some skills that, that maybe other kids his age didn't have. And so we encouraged it. We, we took him to, you know, gifted course classes and we, it, it was difficult to find those sort of things. Um, I think on certain ends of that spectrum, if, if you needed help, there's more help there for you. But, but on the other end, it wasn't as available to us. And we had to hunt to find him chess classes and photography classes in the summer and, and things like that. And he went to school. Uh, he, he went, he started early. So he started kindergarten just before his fifth birthday. I guess he was still four. Um, you know, some of those kids waited until six. And so he was at a, mm -hmm. a, a, in a disadvantage on the playground. Um, you know, he didn't get to get picked for basketball. He was two years younger than, than some of the kids in his class. Um, but in the classroom, he, he, I don't know, I guess he probably took that as some sort of challenge and he just did really, really well in school. Um, somewhere around fifth grade or so he was, he was, the bullying was just a little too much and, and we decided it was time. You know, we had wanted to homeschool him and it was something certainly that we considered, you know, throughout the years. Um, uh, I think it grants his first, I think it was kindergarten uh, parent teacher conference. Um, we asked the teacher, have, have you heard him read yet? She goes, Oh no, we don't start reading until after, you know, December. <laughs> like, so you, you have no idea. You know, it, 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 exactly. felt awkward. It, felt, it felt awkward. And so, you know, it was something that we, we thought about doing. We wanted to do. We weren't sure how to do it. Uh, obviously, our family only wanted what was best for our son. But but there's certainly some pushback about us maybe homeschooling him because they wanted him to have a, you know, normal, you know, life. Yep, yep. They wanted him to, to, to have those experiences that, that most people have. Um, but when we homeschooled, it started that in about fifth grade. 
uh, we, we continued with the same curriculum. We did a Becca Academy online, which was the same curriculum that was in his school. And Jonathan, he no longer had to write his spelling words, uh, you know, every single day, all the way up to Friday. He, he, he was an incredible speller and he wrote them once and he passed the test on Monday. It was kind of pointless for us to make him do them Tuesday, sure. Thursday, Friday. And so he got to move ahead at his speed. Uh, which was pretty accelerated. And so by the time he was 14, I think we were out of curriculum. Wow. Uh, we were we were trying to figure out what to do. And so uh, we were lucky enough that, that here in Louisiana, we were able to dual enroll him. And so Grant started taking college courses at 14 uh, online. And then when he turned, I think he was 15, he got to go on campus. And so he was, my little 15-year-old was on campus taking college <laughs> courses and, and uh, and then he took the SAT and scored really well and got a full tuition scholarship to the University of Louisiana. He um, uh, started college the fall. He was 15 years old and and he just sort of, you know, took whatever credits he needed. And, and just in December, he graduated a computer science degree from the University of Louisiana. Um, all tuition was covered by his scholarships. And and uh, so that 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 in a nutshell, that's that's the the base of the question you asked me, but what you mm -hmm. asked, what you really asked me was how did that prepare him for what he's doing now? Yeah, exactly. Well, something really interesting happened while my son was, was homeschooling. You know, he, he didn't really have high school sort of uh, experience. So he didn't have a prom and he didn't have those basketball games and football games and stuff. And so we thought, well, college is going to be his thing. He's going to, he's going to get on campus and he's going to find his people and we even put him in the dorm the first semester and and then COVID hit <laughs> oh no everything everything went backwards again and went back to online but my son was particularly well equipped for online schooling because he'd been doing sure. it his whole life and so uh again he just he progressed he he tested out of computer science classes he received scholarships from the computer science department every year and just he just thrived, but we didn't do the work for him. He had to learn how to study. He had to learn how to prepare. He had to learn how to speak to people online. He had to learn, uh, obviously he's been, you know, he's had technology in his hands since he was very little. We've never limited him uh, that way. Um, always had a good eye on him, but he's always had a very, very good moral compass. Um, and I think it's, it's it, you know, again, my wife and I, for all of those years, we asked ourselves, are we doing the right thing? Are we, are we, are we denying him things that he would have gotten in schools? Are we, mm -hmm. you know, have we hurt him and hindered him in, hindered him in any way? But as I look at the young man that he's become, I wouldn't change a single thing because he's a remarkable human being. No, oh, that's awesome. I, I so appreciate you sharing that. And, it's exciting for me to hear about someone that's gone through and now is, you know, essentially walked out on the other side, having graduated and got his degree and is pursuing something he's passionate about. Uh, it's just such a, an amazing story. And I really appreciate you sharing that because I think, um, you know, it's something that as AI is changing the world, I think part of what it's changing is our educational system. And I think it's going to have some dramatic impacts. I don't know what those look like at the moment, but I do think it's going to have some dramatic impact. Um, just if in nothing else, just in the way that we have to to teach and, and test 
um, our children to understand where they're at because our traditional means may not work well any longer. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, a basic math multiplication test becomes really easy when you have the calculator. Um, so you've got to think of other ways you've got to do things. So no, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's just, that's amazing. Let's take a, a little shift here and let's talk about Raxar and your, the, I guess Raxar was first, right? That's where we started, correct? You know, talk to me a little bit about how, how, how did you decide to get into the digital marketing space, Lynn? And what did it look like as you were building that from the ground up? That's a great question. Um, obviously, I, I, I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, so every, every great story of mine starts with the fact that I had a paper route when I was eight or nine years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that's where I go back to. And, 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 you know, I was an entrepreneur. I, I, I had to sell, you know, candy and things to, to be able to afford to go to church camps and, and church trips. And so I, I was, I always, we didn't have a lot. Um, my, my house was full of love, um, but we didn't have a lot of money. And so, you know, I, I knew that if I wanted something, Jonathan, I had to work for it and I had to figure out how to, how to, to get it. And so, um, at 15 or 16, I, I, I was speaking at church and someone, uh, you know, one of the members of our church said, Hey, would you be interested in a job at the radio station? And so I became a disc jockey at the radio station when I was 15, I think. And I worked there for a few years of high school and then sort of started a mobile disc jockey company. And then, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you just, you just keep fighting the good fight, you know, trying to fight your way through life and trying to figure out how to build something for yourself. I went to college for a couple of years, uh, just didn't have, I, I wasn't prepared, uh, I would say probably for college. And I, and I, and I didn't understand what I needed to do there because I, uh, high school was pretty easy and I didn't know how to study and didn't really have to at some point, uh, college and the and the financial pressure of not being able to afford it was too great i had to get back to work and so mm -hmm. um, moved back to las vegas got a job working in a casino and and uh ended up buying a, a computer and and sort of got into the internet that way you know, you know back when we had you know aol and the discs and oh yeah and uh that kind of thing uh, i at some point started selling things online um, you know, again, built an online auction, mm -hmm. um, built an e-commerce store and, and to do those sort of things, you know, back then we, we were just kind of getting into SEO and trying to figure out how to rank. And, and I guess that started way back then. And, you know, when you have those skills, um, you can use them a couple different ways. You can, you can sit in your cube and you can keep your knowledge and you could work on your stuff, which is what I did for a long time. I had my e-commerce store that we got several orders a day and I would click a button. I would import the orders I would click another button. It would process all the credit cards. I would click another button. It would send my dropship orders out and it was pretty good life. Um, we were, we were doing okay. And then one day I think a uh, man came into my store and he came in from the local chamber of commerce and you know, it was, it was sort of a welcome, you know, welcome to the mm -hmm. neighborhood kind of thing. And he said, what do you do here? And I'm like, well, I, what I really do is I, I click a few buttons each day, but where I spend most of my time is I try to get my site to rank on Google. And I, and I showed him, you know, at the time we were number one for, for Mickertoner, which is a magnetic uh, I, yeah. that they use for banks. Uh, we were number one for Mickertoner and, and made a lot of money selling that online. 
And then he basically says, oh my gosh, I need your help. You know, um, this small business in Crowley, Louisiana had, had spent 30,000 on a website, $15,000 on the back end code to, to run it. Wow. And none of it really worked. And they were in an $8,000 web hosting package. And he asked me if I could help them. And, and part of me is like, mm, no, nah, I, I don't know. Uh, but another <laughs> part of me, the heart of service part thought I could help them. And it did help them. And, you know, we, we built them a new site. We got them ranked for all kinds of cool things. Um, we helped them grow. Now they're a really big business now. Um, and of course that led to referrals and things like that. Um, but what I realized, Jonathan is, is everybody on that street needed somebody like me and somebody like you mm -hmm. on their side, everybody in our town that had a business needs somebody to help them navigate these things. And, 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 you know, if you want to expand that out, everybody in our state, everybody in our country that has a business needs somebody that they can trust that understands these things, um, to, to help them navigate, uh, you know, growing the businesses online. And so we started doing that and, and it started out as, you know, Louisiana SEO expert.com or something. And, and we were getting clients to do SEO that had just spent a bunch of money on a website that we were having to rebuild every single time. And mm. so we're like, man, we're getting them too late in this process we're going to have to start building websites for these people and, and promote that. And so um, wanted a little more techie name than Louisiana SEO experts. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, the Rackstar story is kind of an interesting one. It, it, you know, it's not a name that's super meaningful to me, but it uh, I went out looking for techie names and I found that one and I made them an offer and they declined my offer and I kind of forgot about it, you know, for several, for a year or so. And like, man, what was that name again? I think I really want to finally get that company launched. And, and uh, I made them another offer and they declined me. Uh, I don't know, maybe they didn't respond this time. And I went on GoDaddy and I typed rackstar.com in the search box and it was available. And I bought the domain for nine bucks. So that's Love it. sort of how Rackstar began. Okay. How about garage marketers? What, what caused you to decide? I think I know, but I, I've never talked to you about this exactly. What caused you to make that shift from racks are the generalist agency very successful doing well to switch into the mode of garage marketers focused on a niche uh, and focus there what what caused that to happen and talk to me a little about that transition well anybody that has that, that's had an agency knows that working in all different industries is is difficult um, you mm -hmm. have to reinvent the wheel every time you get a new client uh, because you have to come up with new you have, you have to have a better understanding of their market. You have to understand their their uh, potential prospects pain. You have to kind of come up with new marketing plans. You probably have to build new websites. You just have to relearn everything every time you get Absolutely. And uh, at some point, as as you did, I think we both probably came across Josh, Nel Josh Nelson at some point, and, and he had a, a niche marketing um, agency, and, and you know they were uh, he had a better way to do things. Um, and, and while Raxar is still existing and we still, you know, we still do a lot of work, we, we help a lot of agencies through Raxar and do a lot of white label work. Um, mm -hmm. the right way to do this sort of business is to be an expert, to be an authority in your market, to be an authority in a niche, to really, truly understand your client's pain and their client's pain, and to be able to replicate that over and over and over again. And so, um, we felt that there was a little bit of a hole in the market for garage marketing 
Um, I know it's one of the more difficult ones. It's difficult because it's it's often spammed, you know, and the mm -hmm. LSAs are spammed, the Google ads are spammed, the Google My Business locations are spammed. Uh, but with, you know, with the experience that I have, um, I'm not afraid of a challenge and, and we chose that niche. Excellent. Well, I, certainly, again, that's where you and I had met and uh, I know you're one of the coaches now through Seven Figure Agency and I think originally that's where you and I met is when we joined uh, at the end of 2021 uh, and made this dramatic move, as, as I'm sure you did as well, um, we needed a lot of help. We had a lot of questions about how do, how do we go from being a generalist agency uh, to being a niche-focused agency while still making sure we're serving our clients because we didn't want to just drop everybody cold in the process. And uh, I want to thank you publicly for the assistance that you were one of the key coaches that really helped us through a lot of that and helped us answer those questions to figure out how do we do these things in a way that is honoring our past commitments as well as honoring the goals that we want moving forward to continue not only to better serve our clients because that ultimately is how we get success, but to better serve our teams uh, and create a company that is better suited for supporting them and what they need, as well as obviously our goals as, as leadership as well. So just huge, huge benefits there. I, I think I think you hit on something really important there that I that I don't want to just pass by. Sure. We operate our businesses in in the interest of our clients for sure, um, in the interest of ourselves and our families for sure. Um, but we also operate our businesses in the interest of our team and our employees. Absolutely. I saw a quote recently that said, "Make your dreams so large." that all of your team's dreams can fit inside of them. Oh, I love that. We can't just take it easy, Jonathan. We can't just be comfortable here in, in, in our world. We have teams to take care of that have families that, that want to grow, that they have goals and dreams of their own that we want to help them receive, get. And so we have to make our dreams large enough that our team's dreams can fit inside of them. It's one of the favorite quotes that I've heard this year, and we really want to take that to heart. I think it's important to, you know, when you have a business to take care of, uh, obviously we take care of our customers and our clients and our families, but we, got, we have to remember our teams also. And I know you're all about that. No, we, we've learned so much about that through Seven Figure Agency and, and seeing how creating those repeatable processes helps our team create security in their, in their work, create excellence in their work. And uh, the feedback we've gotten from our team is how much more they actually enjoy what we're doing because they're not having to stress out every day about going, okay, we were able to do this for these six customers, but now this is a brand new, new niche, somebody in a brand new industry we don't know anything about. Now we've got to really hustle and, and not that they don't want to, but it's so much better when they can go, okay, you know, we, we happen to specialize in the, the water damage restoration field. And when we know those customers and we know their needs and we know the needs of the customers they want to work for, it allows us to provide a much higher level of service. And that brings with it much more joy on our part because we know we're doing a better job than we could if we picked up in, in you know, uh, just, you know, the, the local uh, oil change place. Not that you and I couldn't create a, a great program for them and everything else and do a, a good job, but I'm pretty convinced at this point we couldn't do an 
an, an incredible, a great job because we just wouldn't know them as well as somebody that specialized in that field. Um, and it's just been a, a great learning experience and has really taught me the value of our team. Uh, and I love that quote as well. You know, what a great idea to make our dreams big enough that all of our, our team's dreams can fit within that is, is fantastic. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that uh, the ability to, to do great work, um, you know, confidence comes from achievement. And you want your team to to achieve and you want them to be confident about what they do. And so repeating these processes over and over and over, you get better and you get better and you get better. And so, like you said, if, if I we'd we be well within our, our, you know, range to to help the local auto repair shop. Um, mm -hmm. But in our in our company, in our in our agency in Raxar, we have over a hundred clients that are in all different niches. You know, some of them are duplicates, obviously. Um, over th the last three years, we built 400 websites. Um, that is not an easy task. Uh, and so you know, there's been times where we've lost team members because of overwhelm. Um, we've we've burned out team members because of overwhelm. Uh, it's it's challenging. And so, you know, as the, the CEO or the founder of, of this, I wanted to make my team's life easier. I want to, I want to get better results for our clients and I want to specialize. I want to be great at something. Uh, I want to be the best in the world at marketing garage doors.